0: For a moment, I would like for you to close your eyes, clear your mind for a few seconds, as I paint this picture for you. Imagine a place, a serene place. Only the greats play here. Legacies have been built, dynasties have been forged. In this place, There are two rims, there's a court, there's a ball. Two teams will enter. They will engage in an epic battle. They will give their absolute best to be immortalized. One team will walk away with everything. The trophy, the glory the champagne, the confetti, the admiration. The other team will walk away vanquished, depressed, wondering, will their turn ever come? And that they could come back. Cause you know, sometimes people don't come back. I've just described the NBA Finals, the best part of the playoffs. They have already started. We're going to give our reaction to what we saw in game one, and what we hope to see today in game two moving forward. Also, we want to talk about my favorite moments from the NBA Finals from 1984 up to now. Also, I want to introduce another segment on Lunch Table Talk where we're going to discuss some interesting stories that we feel need to be talked about on today's episode. This is Lunch Table Talk. Hosted by me, Karan. So, have a seat. We're going to talk. Understand what happened Thursday night, we must look at some numbers. Did you realize that Joker had 10 assists by halftime? Whew. Did you also know that Jimmy Butler was off? In his press conference, interview he said we must attack the rim a lot more myself included Jimmy looked tired out there in game one Miami also they had a long series against the Celtics so there was going to be some tiredness on their end but we kind of thought maybe Denver would have some rust after being off for almost a week and a half that didn't show the Murray and Joker two-man game was was on point. Everybody was cutting, going to the basket. They were ready for this game. Denver being a team with the least amount of experience in the NBA Finals proved that they belong. If they continue to keep playing like this, they're going to be champions. See, on this stage, experience does mean something. But if you continue to keep playing consistently the the way that you're playing, and you're knowing your opponent at this point doesn't have any answers for you, that's how you gain experience. Now the tie turns to Miami. Eric Sposher, he's been to what six finals as a head coach. His second finals without LeBron, but his second with Jimmy Butler. I believe they're going to respond. How they respond, it's going to be interesting. We'll see on Sunday night. But we do know there's going to have to be a different attitude when they take the court on Sunday. Because they showed they could come back. The question is, will will they have enough left in the tank to finish? See, Miami needs everybody to help out. It can't just be three or four guys. They need everyone to help out. We're on the other side of the court. Denver only used three players off their bench. All their starters are in double figures. Just just re-watch game one before you watch game two. And you tell me who looks like they're going to take this series. And I know it may sound premature to say a team can win after game one, but... There are going to be times in the next segment, I'll tell you, after game one, you could tell this series was over. I'm not saying that this may be that series, but only time will tell after we get to that point. But to understand that the Miami Heat have a very huge mountain to climb, it's a huge mountain. See, unlike the previous series, they're not going against a team that knows it's talented, This team knows it's talented, but believe it's that talented. See, it's a difference. Huge difference. And they know it, that's why you saw their reaction in the press conference. They know they have to play better. They know they have to attack the rim. They know they need to get to the foul line more. They have to minimize Denver's possessions. Because those guys can be lethal from the three point range. Very lethal. Especially Murray. You saw how hot he was against the Lakers. And Joker can get hot too. He's making getting triple doubles a fun thing again. It means something when you get a triple double now, it just does. So I can't wait to see what happens in game two. this Sunday night get ready for game 2 The Miami Heat and Denver Nuggets will tip it off 48 hours have passed both teams have made adjustments we'll see which team adjustments went out the game and maybe the series I said in the previous segment that you don't win the series by winning game 1 that's not necessarily true I've seen it happen I can tell you the year, too. 1995. Hate to bring it up, but the Orlando Magic versus the Houston Rockets. See, in that series, the Rockets went into the NBA Finals as a sixth seed. That was kind of unheard of. This is a team who didn't have home court advantage throughout no part of the playoffs and weren't going to have any in the Finals. Orlando came in as a young squad. And they had a slogan. Why not us? Why not now? It was unheard of to have your two best players be in their early 20s. And be that good that fast. But Shaq and Penny proved everyone wrong. They beat Jordan and the Bulls in the second round. They beat Indiana in seven games to get to the finals, and by most people's, you know, look at it and take, you would think that they had enough firepower to beat that Rocket team, and for a half they did. I was like, well, Orlando gonna be champs. I might as well go get me some Orlando Magic gear. I already had the hat. Well, that's why they said experience means a lot. The Rockets was able to whittle that lead down. And it came down to free throws. Yes, free throws. Even professionals miss free throws. Pressure bust pipes. Dick Anderson missed four of them and guess what Kenny Smith had a moment broke the record for most threes in the game the Rockets took the Miami Heat not the Miami Heat the Orlando Magic excuse me to overtime and they lost Elijah Wine made a tip in see after that game Orlando was never the same Houston just rolled right over them. That's what I mean by a game can determine a series. You just didn't think it'd be the first game. And there are other instances where I could point out a finals where that was a moment. And it was overshadowed by something that we didn't even anticipate happening. Like, I go back to 88, game six, third quarter. Isaiah Thomas comes out on the break, scored a couple of uh, possessions earlier. He steps on Michael Cooper's foot, sprains his ankle. He's down on the floor. I'm like, uh-oh, not him. He's been a Lakers killer this whole series. Isaiah limps off. But he comes back. And I mean, he's making shot after shot on one foot. When I say this is one of the greatest performances I've ever seen, it's the greatest performance I've ever seen. By an individual, it shows his will, his determination. Isaiah Laura Thomas III gave an epic... Legendary performance in that game. I ain't gotta tell you what the what the numbers were. Go look them up. Just know the Lakers could not believe what they were looking at. They couldn't believe what he was doing on one foot, and he was hobbling to get back on defense. The Pistons lost that game. Bad call lost that series. And if they had won that championship, that performance will be talked about more than any other performance that's ever been played out in the finals. But I tell you one performance that everyone talks about all the time, and that's the flu game. Game five, 1997. See, to set this up, game three, the Bulls got blew out. Game four, it was close. Until John Stockton made two great plays. The pass and the steal. Two things, I'm not mistaken, we know he's the all-time assist leader, but I think he's also the all-time steals leader as well. John Stockton, stole the ball from Michael Jordan and threw the ball to Karl Malone. Series is now tied. Pivotal game five in Utah. Oh yeah, before I go any further, the format was different back then too. See, the finals used to be 2-2, 1-1, 1-1 until 85. It switched to a 2-3-2 format to limit travel. But it's back to two two one 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 since two thousand fourteen. <laughs> Excuse me. So with Pivotal Game Five in Utah and at altitude, Jordan was under the weather. And I remember watching that game. I was like, wow. This might be the game that we see the Bulls go down, and this might be a seven-game series now. Nah, not MJ. He scores 38 points. His last bucket, he collapsed in his his best teammate's arms, and he's carried off the court. By the way, he's wearing Jordan 12s. That's why they're dubbed the fluke game. Bulls win that series and what's crazy is in game 6 he passes the ball to Steve Kerr but before we get to that let me set that up see game 1 of that series came down to the wire Scottie Pippen told Carl Malone hey a mailman don't deliver on Sunday Rob Malone misses the shot. Michael Jordan hits the game winner at the buzzer. Game five. Just told you. The flu game. He makes a three-point shot. Game six. Game is close. It's tight. Fourth quarter. Everyone knows who's getting the ball. Everyone remembers what happened in game one. You saw what happened in game five. They decide to come and double team Michael Jordan this time. And what does he do? He passes the little Steve Kerr. Free throw line. Boom. They win. And I know what you're thinking. Is this chess or is it checkers? See, on this stage, it's it's always chess, never checkers. Some of the greats have never won. But we can take Shaq's name off that list because he finally got that coach and that sidekick or partner to win him those championships. See, in 2000, Phil Jackson came to the Lakers. Young Kobe Bryant, they won three in a row. Couldn't hold it together and they went their separate ways. Shaq got another dynamic wing player in Dwayne Wade. He just killed everybody in 06, including the Pistons, including Dallas. That's why Shaq was able to win his title before Kobe did. And Dwayne Wade was Finals MVP. But that didn't stop young Kobe. Kobe had heard all the messages. Can't win without Shaq. Can't win without Shaq. He go gets two of his own. With this Spaniard, friend, Paul Gasol. And then despite we didn't get the Kobe versus LeBron matchup, LeBron finally got his rings. Still playing, as we say. Hope he plays next year as well. Giannis got a Marine. Basically, what I'm trying to get to you is. The finals have always been the showcase of champions. The best players always play their best on this stage. There's no getting around it. The best of the best play on this stage. But I wouldn't be remiss if I wouldn't talk about the cats that haven't won. in a minute see there's the glory there's the other side it's the agony of defeat and we've seen these athletes that rolled in felt very confident And they left the serene environment that I described in the opening without the Larry O'Brien trophy. I don't have to say a lot of names, but those guys who didn't win, they've had to live with that their entire lives. Did it diminish them as basketball players? Not really, because everyone knows it's a team sport. But when you're measuring accomplishments or having debates about who's the GOAT. Those things do. That's when they show up. But overall, do we question their greatness as individual players? No. Hell no. Patrick Young was one of the best centers in the 90s. But because he didn't take his team to the championship and restore the glory in New York, when when we talk about dominant centers, his name doesn't really come up as fast as Shaq, Akeem Olajuwon, Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Hell, people will say Bill Walton before they say Patrick Ewing. David Robinson, but he got helped out by Tim Duncan. No disrespect to David Robinson. He was that guy, but he got helped by Tim Duncan. You you know he got some help with Tim Duncan. Everyone knows Charles Brock is one of the best, best power forwards that ever played the game. But due to the fact he didn't win a championship, do you even say his name is the best power forward ever? First person that might come up is who? Tim Duncan? You might even say Carl Malone because he was at the time the second all-time player in points, scoring points. But now, who do you say is the best power forward of all time is? Hmm. Championship does matter. If you don't believe me, ask John Stockton. Well, let's talk about John Stockton. Because we always say there's a debate about who's the greatest point guard ever. It's always going to be Magic Johnson. But he was 6'9". Should we really say he was a point guard? Yes. You could say point forward. You could say he played off. He did play off five positions. You can go as far as saying point center if you like. But Magic was the point. He was the orchestrator. He was the what do you call the conductor of the greatest fast-breaking offense I ever saw in my life called Showtime winning a championship does matter when we have these conversations but let's take it to the other side of it look at those guys numbers in the finals did they show up? yes did they play their absolute best? yes is it a shame they only got one or two opportunities to compete for the championship and actually get to the finals? Yes. So, when everyone always talks about this competition thing, just remember those names I just mentioned. Like, they're great, they have individual accolades that prove that they are great. Everyone I mentioned is a Hall of Famer. Barkley. Malone Ewing Stockton played on the first dream team. Reggie Miller along with those dudes played on the second team in 96. Winning a championship is hard to do. Winning period is hard to do. And to do it consistently, ooh, you, you need you need Jesus, you need prayer. So in fairness, when we talk about the greatest of all time, these names will not be on those lists. All because they didn't win the big one. They competed at the highest level, but they just didn't have enough. They didn't have the correct teammates or it was just a bad coaching move. Or well, they just went against a better opponent. There's always something that stopped them. So we must cherish every time you get to the NBA Finals. Because it ain't no guarantee you'll be back next year. That's how winning is. Shout out to Tim Grover for coining it and putting in a book. It's an excellent book. Cheap pop. Go buy the books. Excellent books. Excellent read. But winning is very, very selective. So selective in point that you can get it, you can dance with it. You'll celebrate with it, and when you're not looking, it's already out the door, running to its next destination, and it's your job to catch it. And as it runs out, it looks at the guy that tried to catch it, and said, maybe I'll see you next time. Hmm. Now we come to the part of the episode where we're going to talk about this new segment called Hot Takes, where throughout the week, there may be a story that I find intriguing and I want to share my thoughts on. Today, we have two of them. One is about the comments that Scottie Pippen has made about Michael Jordan again, and Shannon Sharp leaving FSN. I want to start with the Scottie Pippen thing, because it really bothers me. I wanna send a heartfelt healing energy to Scottie Pippen. Go seek some therapy, brother. The fact that you keep going at Michael Jordan doesn't make sense, doesn't make sense to anyone. You've won six titles. You're best known as Michael Jordan's running mate. He called you his best teammate. He helped induct you into the Naismith Hall of Fame. You guys are forever connected. Why are you doing this? What is the purpose of you doing this? I've already bought your book. I'm going to read it at some point. But you sound like a jealous ex girlfriend. And you're trying to destroy a great man's legacy. I don't know how you try and to do that with throwing rocks at it. Rocks don't beat what Michael Jordan's legacy is built with. The man has already told y'all, you were his greatest teammate. He don't win these championships without you. And along the way, he showed you some things. You didn't come in the league like that. He did. You didn't. You could say, oh, I played with him. He had the ball all the time. No, you were a good player that was raw. You didn't have that fire like he had. You didn't have that competitive nature that he had. Everyone that I saw in that last documentary said that you were pretty much their favorite teammate. You would go by and say, hey, don't worry about it. It's going to be all right. You know, let's just that's just how he is. And I really want to sit here and actually dive into it and say that you're, you really became more upset after the last dance documentary, what you upset for? Oh, he reminds you of your shortcomings. Mm, that's part of life, brother. No one likes being criticized. But what happened in 94, that happened. I remember. I saw that game. You refused to go back in. Michael didn't scold you. Bill Cartwright scolded you. Because he was right. You did quit on your team. Well, Michael. That was Michael Jordan. They wouldn't. Yeah, because he's Michael Jordan. He's not afraid to take that shot. And you live and you die with him having the ball. That's just how it is. Oh, you forgot 1982 when he hit that shot to win North Carolina its first national championship with Dean Smith as the coach. They had won before, but Dean Smith had won one, and he he gave a true freshman the green light to shoot a jump shot. They gave you the green light, Scotty. You bricked. Y'all were down 0-2 in that series. Phil Jackson had to figure something out. He didn't want to go down 0-3. Go down 0-3, it's pretty much over. I'm sorry, Scotty. You had your chance. And you had two other chances, too. You went to Houston. What happened in Houston? Oh, you, but but then you then you brought up MJ then saying, he told me not to go play with Charles Barkley because he don't know, He he don't have the desire what it takes to win. We're not going to talk about 2,000 with the Portland Trail Blazers. Your sixth ring should have been able to settle that group down in that fourth quarter. You were up 15. You lost a 15-point lead. The Lakers were done. Phil Jackson even told them, hey, we, we may not be ready for this team, so you know what? Let's just play it out and see what happens, but uh, we'll get together next year. I'm paraphrasing what Phil Jackson told them in that huddle, but... They all looked at each other like... He just walked away like... <laughs> oh, hell no. Nah, we can't lose it. And guess what? Y'all folded like a folding chair. But you wasn't supposed to. You got six championships. You know what it takes to get to the... final nose. Maybe you... Not as the lead dog. Maybe you don't. See, there's levels to leadership. There's levels to Anything. You wanted to be the alpha, but everyone didn't see you as the alpha. You were the best player on that squad in 94. You may have been the most experienced and most Super Bowl leading that Portland Trailblazer team. You weren't the best player. I think the best player on that team was Rashid Wallace. Y'all were loaded in Portland. There was no reason for you not to win a championship in Portland. The fact of the matter is, a mirror was put up and this is your career everyone knows you have great attributes they know you're a great defender they know you're a great player you won six championships you're the only player that bridges the two Bulls teams besides Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson how rare is it to be on a squad I'm going back people how rare is it to be on a squad where you have two different supporting casts to win a championship multiple times that doesn't really happen it's rare that it happens usually when a supporting cast you win championships your window closes it's very rare it reopens with a different supporting cast with a couple of carryovers it's very rare that I've seen it's very rare So, Scotty, go get some help, bro. Please, get some help. Now the Shannon Sharp situation. First of all, I want to tell him congratulations on all the success that he's having and will continue to have. I'm going to take a positive role with this because all great things do come to an end. Nothing lasts forever. Camelot didn't last forever. But it's not the beauty in something that lasts forever. It's the beauty of how long it did last. Skip and Shannon started in 2016. And we've gotten a lot of joy out of watching him debate Skip Bayless. And in some respects, I believe he's gotten the best of him on occasion. Just like Stephen A. Smith prior when he was on ESPN. I'll be the first one to tell you I started watching Skip and Shannon because of Shannon Sharp, not because of Skip Bayless. The same love he got for Tom Brady is the same amount of hate he has for LeBron James as well a basketball player of being considered the goat. I'm not saying he hates his game, but he hates the idea that he's considered the goat. He will find—he used to find every little way to point out LeBron's this and LeBron's that. And that's when I had to say, you know what? LeBron's a great player. I just prefer this guy more than I prefer him. That's That was always my take on it. But people would say, oh, you're acting like Skip Bayless. Oh, hell no. I ain't no certified hater. Skip Bayless is a certified hater on, on occasion, depending on the subject. I don't know him as a person. I don't. I just know what I've seen on television. So Shannon Sharp, if you decided to move on and find other greener pastures, congratulations to you. You don't owe none of us any explanation as to why you're making your decision. You've better off than you're better now than when you first started working there. And sometimes you just have to make that decision to move on and move forward. It's always forward, as my man said in Luke Cage. Always forward. Pop always said always forward. That's who said it in Luke Cage. Always forward. He has Club Shay Shay. I think they went over a million viewers. Chair he'll, he'll, Sharpe would be fine. Now, if you want to say who, who who's going to get the most of the fallout, it's going to be Skip Bayless. Because what do you do with that show? Who do you put in that chair? See... I've watched the show when both of them weren't on and it was like it was alright but you gotta put somebody that can sit in that chair and that can actually hold their own and make it look like they're doing their homework and their research personally when Shannon leaves just wrap the show if you want Skip to still be on let Skip do his show on there drip Bayless And we'll go from there. Actually, Skip should do his own show. But he probably doesn't have enough material to do so. It's funny how life is. Be back in a minute. come to the end of this episode i like to appreciate the time that you took to listen thank you, appreciate it and if you haven't already, please subscribe because every time I upload a new episode you'll be alerted tell your friends we're getting ready soon to start launching these series so be on the lookout for those as well the NBA Finals will Maybe by the time next episode concludes, I hope not, but if it does, we'll have a very worthy champion. Either we'll have the most consistent team that's played the entire season, been number one in their conference, but arguably the best player in a decade at the five position, getting more than just an MVP trophy or two, but now we'll be adding champion and finals MVP to his resume. The beginning of an elite guard that's all the way back from his tragic injury that he suffered about a year and a half ago. Or we'll have the greatest story ever told by the eight seed that overcame every odds to hoist a trophy and proven once and for all, heat culture lives, heat culture lives. What are your memories of the NBA Finals prior to this year? Are they good? Are they bad? Do you still live with the hurt of your favorite player not winning a championship? I'm Karan. This has been Lunch Table Talk. I'll see you soon. Take care. Peace.